you asked Leone, I was sitting there next, last week and Wednesday, uh, riddled with pain, walking up and down, I couldn't sit still. Uh, and she said, let me take you to hospital. And I said, no, 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 I'm not going to be in hospital this weekend. I was stubborn, stubborn as I can be. No, I'm not going to go to hospital. I'm not going to be over the, the, the resurrection Sunday in hospital. And there I was in hospital. God had a different plan. And while I was laying there, I said, Lord, but I still want to preach this sermon. And he said, so what's stopping you, my child? Yes? So I want to talk to you today about Isaiah chapter 53. Amen. Isaiah 53. Let me just ask you the question. Who of you have read the book of Isaiah from front to the end? Isaiah. What a powerful prophecy. If you haven't read Isaiah, I highly recommend you go home this afternoon and read the whole prophecy from beginning to end. It is a powerful prophecy. And then we come to Isaiah chapter 53. These words that Isaiah was prophesying, writing down, was 700 years before Jesus Christ died on the cross. Do you know how long that is? It's seven times my life, no, no, maybe eight times my lifespan. <laughs> and eight times yours, if you tarry to live a hundred years. Can you think about that? Seven hundred years before things happened. Isaiah wrote down these words. You know, this book of, uh, this chapter in chapter 53 uh, was written so long before it, and so many people exalt it, but others ignore this chapter. It is also known as the torture chamber for the rabbis. The torture chamber. The Jews don't like, I'm talking about the Orthodox Jews, they don't like this chapter. They don't read this chapter in the synagogues. Some of them would read this chapter, but they will apply chapter 53 to the nation of Israel. But there are serious questions that need to be asked about it. Martin Luther said about this chapter that every child of God should have this chapter in their pocket carrying with them. He said every child of God should know this chapter off by heart. This is such a wonderful chapter that any person can open up in your Bible and if anyone asks you to preach a sermon that you need to open up in Isaiah chapter 53 and you can preach a gospel sermon. You can preach this sermon and people will get saved. This is the one. Ray Stedman said that this is the photograph of the cross. If you read through this, it is the picture of the cross. Where Jesus Christ hang. If you look in the New Testament, you will not find a graphic explanation or depiction of the cross of Jesus Christ. You won't. Because the disciples were not by the cross. They, were, they ran all the way. You only hear about the cross. But this is the picture. If you want to take a photo, Isaiah chapter 53 is that photo of the cross. And if you want to put audio to that photo, then you read Psalm 22 next to this chapter. I've heard so many times people say the seven sayings from the cross. Have you heard that? And people preach about that. I've been invited to New Zealand once as one of the pastors, seven pastors, to come to an outreach. And they gave me one of the sayings from the cross that I needed to preach a sermon on. And I thought by myself, it is so poor. Because here in Psalm, chapter, uh, Psalm 22, 
we find the whole conversation of Jesus Christ hanging on the cross with the Father. The whole conversation. Do yourself a favor if you haven't read that. And go this afternoon, open up your Bible and read Psalm 22. You will hear the agonizing conversation of a son with the father. And I'm not even talking about the garden of Gethsemane where he was in agony praying for you and for my sin. Here is the agonizing Jesus Christ hanging on the cross. And you're absolutely right, my brother. The nails couldn't keep him on the cross, but love nailed him to the cross. And you should shout hallelujah. Come on. He was nailed to that cross by man, but he was kept there by the love of God. Agape love, sacrificial love, the love that keeps you and me sitting here with hope this morning. We are not hopeless. We've got hope, and His name is Jesus Christ. This, Ray statement says, is the picture, is the photograph of Jesus Christ on the cross. And like I say again, you can put Psalm 22 next to that. And you can do that. Psalm 50, uh, Isaiah chapter 53 is the gospel. Is the gospel. I want to tell you something about Isaiah. I don't know if you've knew this, but Isaiah has got 66 chapters in this book. You can look at the book of Isaiah. It is a mini Bible. It's the mini Bible. It is a synopsis of the Bible, if you want to call that. If you want to read and know anything that's happening in the Bible from front to finish, read the book of Isaiah. There is 66 books in the Bible. Who knows that? There's 66 chapters in Isaiah. 39 in the Old Testament and 39 of judgment in the book of Isaiah. It's amazing that when you open up in John, you read about a man with the name John the Baptist. He says, I'm the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. If you open up in Isaiah chapter 40, which is really interesting, 27 books from there on, like in the New Testament, you start reading Isaiah saying, The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. When you go in Isaiah and you read in the first 39 chapters, you read about Israel, you read about the judgments, you read about the nations coming up. You read, you read how God uses a nation. Am I talking too fast? No, but you can read about a nation that God uses to punish His people. But whenever God, and they cry out for forgiveness, God comes back and He punishes that nation. Let it be known that you cannot lift your hand against God's people. Let it be known here this morning that we haven't replaced God's people. We are grafted into God's people. It's a fascinating book. 66 chapters, 39 of judgment. And then we come to chapter 40. We come into the New Testament and there's 27 books in the New Testament. 27 chapters in, in Isaiah who talks about comfort for God's people. Go and read that. It makes fascinating reading. Comfort for God's people. And then we come down to chapter 53, which is really in the middle. It's in the middle of those 27 chapters. And what do we find there? The cross of Christ. The ultimate price that was paid for you and for me. Don't you find that neat? And then somebody says, it's just a book. It's just a book. No, no, no. 
If you say it's just a book, you don't know anything. You need to study more. You need to come on your knees to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to open this up so that I can learn by this. Listen to me. Listen to me. Today, there is programs going on in churches. I don't want any of those programs. I want the Word of God. This is the living Word of God. Listen, this is a sword. It's living and it's powerful. Listen, young man, young woman, if your life is messed up, Come to the Word of God and He will fix it for you, yes? But you have to come with everything. You can't come partially. So it is really interesting when you come to this chapter. And in chapter 53 gives a great report what happened on the cross. If you go down to Revelation chapter 90, you find the millennium reign. If you read the final, come see it this afternoon. If you read the final chapter, in the final part of the final chapter, in the book of Isaiah, you read about the final judgment that will come and the glory of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you thought Isaiah was just a prophet. It's a powerful book. But we come this morning to Isaiah chapter 53. And we want to look at that. And we want to look at the picture. Now, when you read Isaiah chapter 53, you need to understand it doesn't start in verse 1. Isaiah chapter 53 actually starts in chapter 52 verse 13. You see, you should understand that chapter division came later. The Bible wasn't written like this where the Lord sat Isaiah down and he says, Hey Isaiah... Uh, this is chapter 1 now. Chapter 1 verse 3 Isaiah. Chapter 1 verse 4 Isaiah. Chapter 1 verse 5 Isaiah. No, no. It wasn't written like that. But we read the Bible like that. I always love it when I come to a passage. And when I hear people quote passages, I go and I search for that passage. And I put it back into context. Because you will not understand Isaiah chapter 53 if you haven't read these two verses before that. That sets up the whole chapter for you. Are you keen for this now? Yes. Have I got you worked up? Yeah. Yes, everybody? Yes. Okay, let's read it now. We're going to go now to Isaiah chapter 52 verse 13. He says, Behold my servant. You see, that's a capital letter there. What does that mean? He talks about Jesus. Jesus is the servant of God. He's the son of God. He came to do something for the father. He says, behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He, and I've highlighted it for you. Is that a capital or small letter? Who's that? Come on, people. Come on, church. Say it. Who's that? It's Jesus. He says, my servant shall deal with you prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled. And be very high. Just as many were astonished at you. So his visage was marred more than any man. And I want you to think now all of the sermons that you've listened in your life. This is so true what he says right here. We have the privilege of looking at this in hindsight. This man didn't have it when he wrote it down. He says that his visage was marred more than any man. And that is so true. And his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. When you see that there, it means that there is salvation. The sprinkle there, if you talk to an Old Testament person, he will know that it's the sprinkling of the blood for the covering or the forgiveness of sin. Here already, he says to us, he shall sprinkle many nations. 
kings shall shut their mouths at him. For what not have been told them they shall see, and what they not have heard they shall consider. We've got a scripture verse. We said that every knee and every tongue, what? Say it again. Jesus Christ is Lord. One more time. Jesus Christ is Lord. A little bit louder. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you believe that? Yes. yes. Come on, do you believe what you've said? Yes. yes. Every knee will bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe it. It's part of my DNA. Here he says that kings shall shut their mouths at him. They will stand there and have nothing to say. Oh, they've got a lot to say about him right now, don't they? But they've come at the day. You see why these verses are so important? Now, if you read chapter 52, these verses get lost. Because it's not in context. But if you read it with chapter 53, now all of a sudden it becomes context to you. He was marred. They know that. Do you find any of the King's Charles, who's King Charles, isn't it? You know, the big King, King Charles. Yeah. Do you find him talking about Jesus, being Mark, being the Savior of the world? You don't find him. But his mouth will be shut. He says it here that for what not have been told them they shall see with their own very eyes, and what they have not heard with their own very ears, they shall consider. And now... He asks a question in verse, chapter 53, verse 1. He says, Who has believed our report? Who can believe this? Who can believe this, what we've heard? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of the dry ground, and have no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. Rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs. Now this verse... A lot of people love to quote, yes? He's borne our griefs. I want you to feel the feeling when the Spirit of God gave these words to this prophet. And he carried our sorrows. Yet, we did not esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded. He was, listen, I'm saying he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed, and all we like sheep has gone astray. Can everybody say all? all. What does all mean? All. Everyone. Does it mean you? Yes. Does it include Isaiah? Yes. Does it include David? Yes. Moses? Abraham? Peter? He says, all has gone like sheep astray. And we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, praise the Lord. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. 
Yet he opened not his mouth. He brought as a lamb before the slaughter, and as a sheep before a shearer as dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken, and he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in death. We know that this happened when they took him to that rich tomb. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Have you done violence in your life? I have. Was there deceit found in your, in your mouth? In my mouth there was. But in his there was not. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make thy soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by this knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. He shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil of the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he has numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgression. I know for a lot of people that is their portion of scripture reading for the week. So I'm so glad that I've read it to you. This is the chapter which is called the torture chamber for the rabbis. This is the words that a lot of people don't want to hear. Do you want to hear it this morning? How was your case? How was your case this morning? Did you sit there this morning and say, Ah, oh, just get on with it? The Lord knows. He knows your thoughts. I painted for you on the canvas the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to make this personal. He did this for you. For you personally. He knows you by name. You've got five names. He knows them all. You've got a nickname. He knows that. And this morning, He sits in front of you, chapter 53, and He says, I've done this for you. How did you feel when I read these words? Did it bring some light inside of you? The main question that I've got for you this morning is, do you believe what I've read to you? Do you believe this case? Because we come back to the question, who has believed our report? It is wonderful words. It's wonderful when you read it, preacher. But it's a little bit distant to me. I want to ask you, do you believe this report? Because I see so many people driving past this place who do not believe this report. You go tomorrow to your workplace and you read this chapter to them. What's going to happen? They laugh at you. They say, close that silly book. What are you doing? You know, in some churches they don't want to read this anymore. No, no, we read two scripture verses and then we play. We play church. We cannot play church anymore. This is the real thing. This is the real deal. This is the one who went through things that you and I can't go through. And I want to show this to you. 
Who has believed the report? You know that Paul writes the same thing in Romans, but I like it when Paul writes a little bit more about it because now he knows a little bit more than Isaiah knew. But he quotes, he quotes Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53 is quoted 88 times in the New Testament. It is the chapter who's quoted the most of the whole Bible in the New Testament. Is it an important chapter? So here we find him, we find Paul, he says, but they, not all obeyed the gospel. You see, he attaches this chapter to the gospel, he says they haven't obeyed it. We need to obey the word of God, but they haven't. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Now I want to talk to you this morning and I want to show you why I believe that people do not believe this report. Just four things and then we will go home, okay? Why? Why don't people believe this report? Well, first of all, they don't believe it because it's an unbelievable person. Isaiah chapter 3 explained to us an unbelievable person. I mean, if you go to the world today and you call up, you call up, uh, uh, what is his name? Biden. Hey, Biden, who can we, what one man can we bring to save the whole world? Think about it. Young children will say Superman or Batman because that's what they've been taught, isn't it? But if I come to you and I say, one man to save the world, who will that be? I know that there's a lot of people who will have in their minds a list of things that this person needs to tick off. But here comes this one man, which if we put his name in front of the world to say that this man is going to save the world, they will not believe it. And this is why he says, who will believe our report? The first person, the first one that is making this report so unbelievable is an unbelievable person. We find it in the first part of this. He says, as a root out of the dry ground. You see that? A root out of the dry ground. This comes from Israel. Israel, it was talking about Israel. Israel at that point in time was the nation who was the lowest in the world. They were defeated. Now, if you at that time go to the whole world and say, bring me one man out of all of the world that's going to save the whole world, do you think they would have gone to Israel? No way. No way. Israel was like this root. He was like a, a dry ground, this root that's lying there in dry ground. There's no life in it. Yet from there comes this man. From this place that you wouldn't even think that somebody would come. Here comes this one man that would save the whole world. It's unbelievable. You can't believe that. From that nation, that's the smallest and that's the most despised nation of them all, comes this unbelievable person. Think about that. Then secondly, we read about this man that there is no form of comeliness. We can't compare to him. We shall see him there is no beauty that we should desire him. No beauty at all. I mean, think about Jesus. We see in the books today that they, they have this man there with long hair, don't we? In the picture books. And they say, oh, what a beautiful man. But I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, if that is who you think Jesus is, you make a big mistake. That's not how he's going to look. But here is this one. The Bible describes him as somebody who comes from a place. Listen, this baby was born in a manger, not in a palace. This baby was born there. 
He, he was born in Bethlehem. He grew up as a carpenter's boy. Do you want to tell me that a carpenter's boy will be the savior of the world? That's unbelievable. Who would think that? And then he, he grew up in Nazareth. And by the time he grew up in Nazareth, it was a faulty thing to say you, you live in Nazareth. <coughs> oh, he's a Nazarene. Oh, yeah, he comes from that part. It was unbelievable. He had no friends. He didn't have any lawyers to support him. He wasn't on any boards. He wasn't the CEO of a company. No, no. He was somebody which somebody would look up in the crowd and say he's a nobody. Do you sometimes feel like that? Yet here is this unbelievable person. They say there is no beauty that we should look at him. It is not as, as if they look over the crowd and say, who can be the savior of the world? Look at that beautiful, beautiful specimen of a man there. Nothing like that. In fact, this says that when you looked at him, you wouldn't have even noticed him. This is the real facts, brothers and sisters. Don't romanticize Jesus. This is where he came from. He came from Nazareth. He was, he was a carpenter's boy. He wasn't even in the universities. You know how the Jews worked? You grew up to be 12 years old and then you do your bar mitzvah. You know that? And if, if the rabbis come around and they look at all the brilliant students, they would pick them out, handpick them out, and they would go to the university. The rest, by 12 years old, you need to go into your trade. Jesus wasn't even in the universities. He was a carpenter's boy. No formliness. He was despised, rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. We hid our faces from him. This is unbelievable. How can such a person come? How can that person become the person who's the savior of the world? You know, I remember when I was young, I, I watched a movie once where a young boy was poor and he came sort of like in India from the slums area. We would know that the person who comes from the slums has got nothing, yeah? And, and then somehow he found him, somehow by a miracle in the midst of these rich people. And, and this young boy who didn't know anything else had to live a life in luxury. And he found it hard to do that. This is not that. This is not that. This is luxury coming into the slums. And I have to live by that. This is the opposite. It's an unbelievable person. You know, when he grew up, we would look at him and say, no, we don't want you on our team. You remember when you were young and they choose the captains first? And the captain says, you know, no, no, I, I, I picked Dennis. And the other one says, yeah, yeah, I picked Ben. And then, yeah, I picked Braun. You know, I, I picked, you know. Do you, do you remember those games? But it's an odd number. And there's one person who stands there. And they pick every time. You go, oh, they pick. And they pick. And you go, when are they picking me? And, and you are the poor last one. Did you play that game? And, and you were not the favorite. And they pick, 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 pick. And then you're the last one. And they go, oh, we might as well have you. That's Jesus. Described here. You know, we think that he would walk in here and everybody would fall down. That is not how he's betrayed. And this is why. Who will believe our report that such a person would come and he will be with us. He was hated. The Pharisees, the scribes, his own family. You remember when he was there, his own family said he was mad. He was hated. People turned their backs on him. Put yourself in that position. I know there's a lot of people who feel like that. 
That's an unbelievable thing. And this is the wonderful thing about it, brothers and sisters. He was human, yet he was divine. He was humble, yet he was exalted on high. He was hated, yet he died for those who hated him. He was an unbelievable person. Unbelievable. Would you have believed it when we told you that? Oh, you're sitting in church now and you go, yeah, look at me. I, I, I would have believed. No. Nobody believed that, even in Jesus' day. But I found one man in Acts chapter 32. You see, this is the place in Samaria. And there was a man sitting on a chariot. And he was reading out of the scripture Isaiah, the place of the scripture which was read. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shearers. He's so silent. So he opened not his mouth. And in his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So here is this Enoch, and he, he rides on the chariot, and he reads in Isaiah this account. And he doesn't understand what's going on. So the Enoch answered Philip, and he said to him, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say this is, of himself or another man? You see, he asked the question, is this, is this believable? I can't believe it. Who's this? And Philip said to him, it's Jesus Christ. It's an unbelievable person. So the question is, who would believe it? The second one, it's an unbelievable price that he paid. Think about this price. It says it there in chapter 5, uh, uh, verse 5. He says, but he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Have you seen how many times he uses the word our? It's us. It's an unbelievable price. And here is the thing. The iniquity of all was laid upon him. He done no violence. He did no deceit with his mouth. I want you to think about that. You know, there's innocent people who die. Isn't that right? There's a lot of innocent people who can die today. I mean, you can be in a situation where I've seen those people who died in, in, in New Zealand when they went on the ship and they went to the volcano and, and, you know, they just walked in the volcano and the volcano started going off. And a lot of people, innocent people, died that day. But there's only one innocent man who gave his life for everybody who was guilty. And that's Jesus. It's an unbelievable price that he paid. And then we come to these scripture verses, brothers and sisters. And we quote this verse. But I want you to understand what we're saying. He was wounded for our transgressions. The word wounded there means he was pierced. You know, they, they killed him for our transgressions. Transgressions, there is rebellion. Think about that. You know, we all, is in rebellion. But one man stands up and says, I will let you all go free. And I will take to be pierced and to be killed. He was bruised for our iniquities. That means he was crushed for our sins. And think about this. When he hung on the cross and he looked back into past, every single vile sinner from Adam, every murderer, every unthinkable act that you think that people could do from Adam right through till the end of the world was put upon his shoulders. That's an unbelievable price. So hence, he says, who can believe our report? If we go out into the world today and we say to the world, he died for your sin, 
It's easy to think about my sin. I can tell you all the things that I've done. But He's also died for your sin and the one next to you and next to you. I want you to think about the vilest sin you can think right now of. That crushing. That's the word that's used there. When it says that he was bruised. That word bruised there in Hebrew means he was, he was crushed. He was, he, was, he was put pressure on him. And he was bruised for every particular evil. That's what the word iniquities mean. And then he says he was chastised for our peace. That means he was whipped with a rod. With a rod. Now I remember I was in school. And, and you know, when I was still in school, they still had the cane. Who, who remember those days? You know, I, I remember, you know, bending over for six canes on your... But, you know, there was one day when something went wrong in one of our classes. And they, man, this teacher, he didn't use a cane, he used, used a plant. And that was so. And everybody was afraid of this teacher. And one of the boys threw out one of the fluorescent lights when he was not in the class. And everybody scowled around, scowled around to clean the whole thing up. And when he came back, he was a clever teacher. He knew something was wrong. And you know what? He said, who was this? Who did this thing? And everybody was too afraid. And told the smallest boy in the class, he said, I will take it. And he leaned over. And you know how we felt? We all were guilty. But I could still remember the boy's name was Tommy. He was a small little boy, smaller than all of us. And he took the hiding for all of us. So I feel something like that. But here comes Jesus Christ. And he took the chastisement of your peace. He, he was whipped by God so that you can have peace. So that you can sleep peaceful at night. Can you feel that? It's unbelievable price. And then we come to this verse. This one. He stripes we were healed. That means black and blue marks. Pointed for a physical punishment. Have you seen these marks? If you hit somebody, there's a black and blue mark coming out. This is what this verse means. Now, I know a lot of people use this verse for physical healing. And you can use it like that because in Matthew chapter 8 verse 16, it was said when, when evening had come, they brought him many who were demon-possessed. This is to Jesus. And he cast out spirits with a word and he healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled which was spoken in Isaiah he himself took the infirmities of our sickness upon him. So yes, I get it. And, and even when I was in hospital, I've had a lot of people who, who quoted the scripture to me for healing. And I thank the Lord for that scripture. But brothers and sisters, it is not only for physical healing. This scripture is not only for physical healing. We make a mistake if we claim that by this scripture verse, all the Christians will be 100% healed and not sick. Because God do use sicknesses as well amongst His children. And this is also for spiritual healing. Peter used that. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 24, who also himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that, that we having died to sins might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, the overseer of your souls. So we can't only apply this just to physical healing. It is spiritual healing. You know, I say sometimes to somebody, you know, we need to pray for the healing of the soul rather than the healing of the body. Because if you are born again, the body is going to go back to dust. Who knows that? 
Amen. I mean, we're sitting in a place to remind us every day of that, isn't it? <laughs> so, we see that it's an unbelievable person. Who will believe our report? It's unbelievable to repeat. And it's an unbelievable price. And then we find an unbelievable attitude. Look at this. Here is Jesus. And it says about him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened up not his mouth. Don't you find that unbelievable? You know, he is brought as a lamb before the slaughter, as a sheep before the shearers, yet he opened up not his mouth twice. Now I know we don't operate like that anymore, do we? I mean, somebody do you in, and what do you do? You're the first one on the phone. I'm going to tell them, this is not how it works. Now, sometimes you need to do that, you know. I was, I was on the phone to the bank the other day. I said to them, look, there's, there's something going on here. It doesn't work like that. You need to fix that. But this is different. This is bringing an accusation to you and say that you are guilty of all of these things. And you say, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ was not guilty, brothers and sisters. He was sinless. Yet he did not open up his mouth. And you know what? I was thinking about this. What would have happened if he opened up his mouth? What would have happened when they brought him up there to the cross? They beaten him. And in the final, in the final scene, he stands up there and he opened up his mouth. You know what would have happened? One angel would have killed 80,000 people. One angel. This is the same mouth that called everything that you see into existence. This is the power I'm talking about. I want, you to I want you to walk out of this place today and this afternoon and go read Isaiah 53 again and come to this passage and think how big it was. You know, if, it's, if, it's, if they bring an accusation against me and I know I'm not guilty, I fight as hard as I can. I open up my mouth, I shout, I talk, I bring everything in. I talk, I make a noise. Here is a man who come and he with an unbelievable attitude that I can learn from. You know the biggest problem with people today is their attitudes. The, their attitudes. You know the biggest problem in a fight is an attitude. If you've got Jesus' attitude like this, your life will change. Your life will change. Oh, but I've got rights. You, you don't know. I've got rights, you know. Where's my Bill of Rights? This is what they're fighting in America for, isn't it? The Bill of Rights. I'm going to stand on my right. I'm going to stand on my right. Jesus Christ could have stood on all the rights. He could have opened up his mouth and speak those powerful words, which called everything into existence. He could have called 10,000 angels. But my brother, you're right. His love kept him on the cross. Love driven him. The love for you and for me. It's an unbelievable attitude. He opened up not his mouth. And finally this morning, he had an unbelievable purpose. First, he was an unbelievable person. He paid an unbelievable price. He had an unbelievable attitude. And he had an unbelievable purpose. What was the purpose of all of this? Why all of this? Why did you preach for nearly 40 minutes this morning for this? Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Why? When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. An offering for sin. You know what I want to say? Wow. Wow. 
the Lord Bruce Jesus Christ, this unbelievable person, coming from nowhere, nobody would have picked him, who paid this unbelievable price. He hung on that cross. He took every blow. And, and again, I, w- I want to come back to this because I feel it's real to me. I was really in agony. I don't know if, you, if you've ever had nerve pain, but it brought me to tears. You can ask my wife. I, I actually called her during the week. I said, I want you to come and just hold my hand. Like a baby, I was lying in that bed. And while I was lying in that bed like a baby under excruciating pain, you know what came to my mind? He knew it. He knew that pain. The pain that I was feeling in that bed that day, he knew it because he's been there. He's been, he, he was bruised. Listen, listen. He was crushed. Forget about all your nerves in your body. He was despised. His father turned his, his face away from me. I'm, I'm thinking if I call on my lovely wife to come and she couldn't come that day, how would I have felt? But here is, here is the Son of God. He is God Himself. He can open up His mouth. He can, he, can, he can just have said to the whole world, everybody, your sins is your forgiven. I don't have to go to the cross. He could have said those words. Yet He chose this way. It's an unbelievable purpose. And I'm afraid the world is losing their notion for that purpose. And I'm afraid the churches are losing their notion for that purpose. Because when I look around, there's people playing it. You know, Jesus is my mate, he's my buddy, he's my posse. He's not. He's the one who was bruised for you. He's the one who went through excruciating pain. That was the purpose. Now, if I take anybody in this place, and I go and I bring the whole of Australia into one place, and I say to the whole of Australia, we're going to take this person and we're going to martyr him and we're going to torture this person in front of you all, so that he can pay a price or she can pay a price for you all. One would think that people will fall down and say no, or be cut by it, or feel sorry. Yet I read in the Bible that they shouted out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And then I think about my acts that I'm doing, and I think, here I am, Lord. He did all of that, an unbelievable purpose He did for me. And, And I can so easily, so easily turn my back on Him. And say, thank you for taking my bruises and my chastisement and being punished for me and being pierced for me. But I'm just going to give it up for this one sin because that's not good enough for me. It's an unbelievable purpose. He did all of that, that if this man dies today, I can have life. All of that. It's an unbelievable purpose. Who would believe our report? If we go to the world with this message, they will say, what is, that doesn't make sense to us. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. This is a legal term. Justify. This means... 
you've done something wrong and you come in front of the, the court and the judge sits down and you know you're going to be punished. And you stand in front and the judge says, you are guilty. And now we're waiting for him to just do, to hit and say, guilty and take him away. And somebody walks in. And he says, I will take his place. It's a legal term. So if you come to the cross, my friend, and you bow at the cross, and you believe this report, it's an unbelievable report. I come back to the words in the beginning when he said, who shall believe our report? Do you believe the report this morning? Isaiah chapter 53. Is that making a difference for you, Isaiah chapter 53? Again, I say, at any stage, if I wake you up 12 o'clock tonight and you're in your deep, REM sleep, and I bring the Bible to you and open up at Isaiah 53, you need to be able to open up there and to proclaim the gospel of the Lord. That's all I've done today is proclaim the gospel of the Lord. It's an unbelievable person who died for you. He came from nowhere. He wasn't esteemed. He paid an unbelievable price. Always think about that. He had an unbelievable attitude. I thank the Lord for his attitude. And he had an unbelievable purpose. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much this morning for your word. And I thank you, Father, that your word is living, it's powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. And Father, this morning I pray, Lord, that you will just let this word just be with us in your hearts and your minds so that we can live by them, Father. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. We thank you for the price he's paid. It wasn't just an easy price. It was an expensive price. And we thank you, Lord, that it was an unbelievable purpose. And I thank you for that purpose so that we can have life. In Jesus' name, amen.